Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is from the Gospel of Mark, especially these words. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. One of the uh, most famous quotes from wartime comes from the Civil War, from Major General Sherman Tecum- uh, William Tecumseh Sherman. He said, war is hell. And on the battlefield, there certainly is no mercy, no gentleness, no love for the enemy, no love from the enemy. Anyone who has participated in war can attest to the fact that war is hell. But wars do pass. Battlefields become memorials and sacred ground. Here in our gospel lesson, Jesus reminds us just what a problem sin is for us. Jesus says anyone who sins, anyone who breaks even one of the commandments deserves, is destined for hell. And the word that Jesus uses there for hell is the word Gehenna. And Gehenna, in the Greek there, is uh, actually the name of a valley that's uh, right there near Jerusalem, just a little bit to the southwest. Uh, It has, that valley, uh, a terrible history. Uh, We hear about it in Jeremiah chapter 19. God's judgment is about to fall on the Israelites for their idolatry, even for their child sacrifices. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such disaster on this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence, innocence with a T, uh, the little babies, with the blood of innocence, and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. This is the valley of Gehenna. So Israel had been caught up into this worship of Baal, including the sacrificing of their children, of their sons, uh, by fire to Baal there in this valley of Gehenna. And King Josiah, when he rises to the throne, he cleans out Israel and he brings worship back to Yahweh. And he puts to, uh, to, to the, an end this practice 
uh, this idolatry of Baal, but this practice of, of burning babies as an offering to this god, Baal. And uh, then this valley where this was happening is such a desecrated place that it becomes more than just a dump. Uh, they are dumping uh, bodies there, bodies of people who die, bodies like criminals, bodies of animals. There are fires that are burning to burn the bodies and that. Uh, refuse is thrown out there. That's what this valley becomes, this valley of Gehenna. And so the name Gehenna becomes synonymous with hell. Jesus describes hell as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And maybe we think of a, a, the scene of a battle, some Civil War photos maybe, or something like that. Uh, bodies lying there, um, uh, you know, rotting in the sun, the stench, the death, um, terrible. But that passes. Hell is eternal. It's not a passing thing. There is no comforting word spoken there. Think about um, President Lincoln when he goes there to Gettysburg and he makes this uh, brief address but a, a powerful address, a famous address and, the, and now people visit Gettysburg as a memorial site in the Civil War. But not so hell. No comforting words there. No great speeches. Hell is for eternity. And there are many religions, many people who will tell you that there is really no hell. It doesn't exist. But I think we'll take Jesus' word for it. And Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Uh, our translation says a great millstone. The, the uh, Greek there says a donkey millstone. Uh, because this is not one of the little millstones where people would grind by hand turning it. No, it's a great big millstone that it required a beast of burden like a donkey to turn. Take that millstone. Now the little one would drown you just as well, right? So this is a, an image for us. Take that giant millstone, put it around your neck, and be thrown into the sea. That is a better fate for you than to be thrown into hell. Harry Truman reportedly said, I never give them hell. I just tell them the truth and they think it's hell. But of course, hell is not a creation of our imaginations. We don't just think it up. It is a creation of God. It is a place of punishment. It's reserved for Satan, for his followers, and for those who are sinners. See, man was not originally made for hell, though. But by our sin, we have brought it upon ourselves. We have made ourselves liable. That is our destiny outside of Christ, of course. But Jesus, we see, takes sin very seriously. So serious, in fact, that he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter life crippled. Better to enter life crippled 
than to spend an eternity in hell with all your members. Now he's not talking to pastors, and we're not talking about pastors and all their members. If you're, your arms, we all have our arms, right? Our hands, our feet. Thank God. The problem for me is that my hand does not sin apart from my body. My eye does not sin apart from me. My feet, no part of me sins on its own. Rather, my core, my being, runs after sin. That's a problem. It's my sinful nature. But God doesn't want us to spend our eternity in hell, and so he gives us his son. Jesus went through hell for us. Although he was merciful, he was shown no mercy. Although he showed great gentleness and kindness, taking children in his arms to bless them, caring for the sick and the poor, the needy, he was treated harshly, his beard plucked out, the crown of thorns forced onto his head. He was spat on. He was humiliated. Although he showed great love to all people, even to his enemies, he was abandoned by his disciples, abandoned even by God his Father, was left to die virtually friendless, forsaken by his friends. I wouldn't wonder that many of the Psalms were running through his mind as he was hanging there on the cross. For example, Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Or Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Or Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? We know of one psalm that was going through his mind, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus did go through hell for us, suffered God's punishment for sin, for the sin of our hands and our feet and our eyes and our hearts. Jesus was cut off so that you and I could be restored to a relationship with God. Imagine that you are um, in your basement or garage or your attic cleaning things out and you come across a, a great big thick book, you know, and, and you open it up. It's like the, the yellow pages, something we all are familiar with. Uh, there's nobody too young in here. Huh? And uh, you open it up and you, you see there, you look inside and you say, wait a minute, that looks familiar. And you flip a couple pages and, oh, wait, this is, this is about me. And you find that it is a list of your sins a list of all of the unkind thoughts that you had or deeds, all of the uh, unrighteous anger that you displayed, 
all the times that you were selfish, all the times that, uh, that you were prideful, um, that, that you coveted, all of your sins, this great big thick book, you can't believe how many there are. Then you notice down at your feet there's another book and you pick it up, now it's like the white pages. You open it up and there's listings again of all kinds of things, only these are very unfamiliar to you. And yet you start to recognize these are things that you failed to do. Opportunities that you had to be kind, to be loving, to do something for a neighbor, to overlook a sin, to forgive somebody. And you realize the two books are sins of commission and sins of omission. And then as you're looking at it again, you look at the entry and you notice off to the side there, written, written in a very beautiful script, paid in full. And by, by golly, all of them say paid in full. And you could even imagine it written in red, in blood, right? You flip through the pages of both books. Every single one of those is paid in full. God loves people. God loves sinners. He loves you. He loves me. Even with our list of secret sins, sins that uh, we hope nobody finds out about, our overt sins, our out there for all to see sins, Jesus loves us with such a passion that it would be his joy to take your sins on himself and die for you in your place. To take your hell, my hell, himself. To be cut off from the Father so that we can enter life whole. If we were to cut out of ourselves every sinful part, we'd be so sliced and diced there'd be nothing left. We'd have to be remade. And that's just what God does. He takes sinners destined for the fires of hell and he brings them to the cool waters of baptism. And he speaks gently to them. speaks lovingly to them. As he spoke to you at your baptism and said, you are now my child. You are born again. And he remade you. He brings us to the table where he delivers into our mouth the very body of his son, the very blood that was shed for you into your mouth. In 1987, on August 16th, Northwest Flight 225 crashed into the runway after taking off from Detroit. I did crash into the, into the runway, I'm sorry. Crashed into a highway just outside the airport. And uh, 155 people were killed in that crash. And the first responders, when they came, described the scene and they said, it looks like hell. Things were burning. There was, uh, you know, there were uh, pieces of air, airplane everywhere. It was just a horrific scene. And the, the responders uh, searched through all of the rubble uh, and surprisingly found someone alive. 
it was a four-year-old little girl named Cecilia. And they thought she must have been in one of the cars that were struck by the fuselage of the airplane. Um, but they came to realize later, as they checked her name with the manifest of those on the flight, that she had actually been on the plane. And she tells her story. Um, she says that the reason she is alive is that her mother, when she realized that the plane was going down, took her seatbelt off and knelt down in front of her and put her arms around her and used her body as a shield. And her mother's body took the first impact as the plane came down. And although Cecilia was burned and quite hurt, she was alive. And she attributes that to the love of her mother. And the wonderful thing for us is that God's love is so much more than that, so much stronger than even the love of a mother for her daughter. The Bible says that while we were still enemies of Christ, he took your hell for, for you. He died for us. He offered himself up. And that was his joy to do that because he loves you so much. By God's grace, Christ took our death on himself so that we could have his life in return. And by God's grace, we are called to follow Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus is a call to love, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's a call to self-sacrifice, not so that we gain some sort of glory from it, but for the good of our neighbor and for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. We are called to be a community as the body of Christ, called to encourage one another with God's forgiveness, with God's love, and with the hope of the gospel, with the joyful message that Jesus Christ has taken our hell, taken our sin to the cross, that we have been forgiven, that we have been remade, that Jesus received God's punishment so that we could receive God's grace. Live this day and always in the light of that love as we look forward in joy to our eternal life in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen.
the law